You're listening to Why We Do What We Do. All right, hello everyone. This is Abraham. And your co-host, Rhino. So this is Why We Do What We Do. And uh, today, it feels like it's been a long time since we've been here. It has been. I don't know how long it's been, though. I think it's been like over a month since we've recorded something. Yeah. I, can't, I can't remember. We have. We always record some extra episodes and then go through producing and editing those, and then they, we release them, and uh, sometimes we do a whole bunch at a time. And, and we, Yeah, we're usually ahead on like what we're going to record on. Yeah, but burn through like all of them. <laughs> yeah, we burnt through them, and then we came in today and uh, just... I can't remember what we were going to talk about. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't know either. Was it a? Uh, we're going to talk about like horror movies. Uh, I mean, I'm not ready for Black horror Black Panther just came out. That was true. Yeah, did you watch that? I did actually. I haven't yet. Don't you know tell me. me. <laughs> I guess since we don't know what we're talking about, we're just going to call it an episode. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Peace. You've been listening to Why We Do What We Do. Ah, <laughs> uh, just kidding. <laughs> so we're back and we're yeah. actually going to give you an episode today yeah we actually didn't know we were, we were recording and the joke was that we were talking about forgetting this is this is kind of like our first official well outside of tyler we have a live audience yeah we have an audience we have to talk about it <laughs> <laughs> first live performance it's our first yeah this is like a landmark. One ticket sold. Episode forty something. Yeah, one free ticket handed out. <laughs> thanks for thanks for not paying. <laughs> so we have a, a plaza meter that we're not to use. <laughs> All right. Well, okay. So let's just jump into way back when we first started recording these episodes. We did an episode on remembering that we did. I remember what episode. I think it was number five. <laughs> See, this is the thing about re- talking about things like memory is how. How much a part of our conversation and our language those terms are. So we say things like, "I don't even, I don't remember what episode it is." Yeah, and yeah, it's because we forgot, and I we'll will. talk about why. But yeah, that's where we're at. And when we did that, we promised an episode on forgetting, and I've just sort of been pushing it off and pushing it off, and so yeah, 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 we'll get to so it. So you didn't forget; it was just uh, procrastination. Yeah, it was mostly procrastinating, and part of it is that. I was saying that as a joke. Like, we're both busy dudes. Yeah. Well, I, I was <laughs> legitimately. Procrastinating. Well, because we prepared for other episodes, and I could have actually been preparing for this one, but I was just sort of waiting and waiting and thinking, you know, what are we, what am I going to talk about with this? How do we want to set this up? And then eventually just had to say, okay, I'm just going to do it. All right. Essentially, when we're talking about forgetting, we're going to talk about, in a sense, why it happens. And we're going to talk about the types of forgetting that exist um Mm -hmm. if you can classify them in specific ways which you can so i just looked it up memory was episode six we'll be able to classify the type of forgetting that occurred when we (laughs) uh when i was trying to recall awesome okay okay and so um when talking about a memory sort of the flip side of that or what's implied to be the flip side of that is this forgetting and when there is something that takes place and we are able to remember it and we can talk about how we remember it and how we can improve our memory of that thing. But sometimes we don't remember it or sometimes we remember it for a while, but then we stop remembering it. And what is all of that? What is all of that stuff yeah. there that's going on? Right. Sometimes that's good. It can be helpful, right? Yeah. Something very traumatic or something that's very unpleasant. Like we don't want to remember. Right. Uh, yeah. I mean, that could be the case. Uh, it, Perhaps. Yeah. And I think there's something we're talking about in terms of just trying to avoid the memories of unpleasant things and whether or not there's really utility in doing that. But yeah. uh, the other thing to talk about inside of this is just, uh, you know, the process under which memories form. And when that process no longer works, then that's sometimes what we call forgetting. 
And we'll actually start with some sort of what are called, I don't know if we'll say chronic, but patterns of forgetting that have specific names where they seem to be um, really specific to a type of memory formation that does not occur. Okay. Yeah. So these are amnesia, right? Yeah. Yeah. The types of amnesia. Types. Perfect. So we have anterograde amnesia. So the inability to form new memories. Yeah. And then retrograde amnesia, the loss of earlier memories from your past. Yeah. And I mean, if you, if you can at least know that there is anterograde and retrograde, then retro obviously means past. Uh, so antero just refers to then the things that happen in, uh, in the future or upcoming forming of new memories. Right. Yeah. And there are a lot of ways that amnesia takes place. And I honestly think that it is worth doing its own episode to talk about amnesia and the, the various brain structures that are involved in amnesia. And, um, um, and understanding that, but amnesia is this uh, this this complicated uh, phenomenon where it looks like forgetting, and it's because, as you said, what might happen is that people who maybe suffer a traumatic brain injury are unable to. It seems as though they are unable to learn new things. They don't remember people that they've met. They don't remember. Um, things that they read they often what what has happened is that people who have for whatever reason had some kind of brain injury and they are unable to form these new memories they have this anterograde amnesia is they are kind of surprised at the date mm -hmm. or new technology because they're sort of stuck in a way uh, a lot of times i've heard it described as their brain is frozen in time okay. so if like in the 80s this happens then going into the 90s and the 2000s assuming that person's you know, not real, really old initially. And so they mm -hmm. had that much life ahead of them that they see the development of technology like computers and the internet and cell phones and that stuff become just ubiquitous. And it would be just a surprising world to live in because yeah. that stuff would be all over the place. Yeah, that'd be insane. And every day it would be like going from 1985 to 2005. Yeah. How different of an experience that would be, right? <laughs> yeah, I couldn't um, even fathom. Yeah, yeah. No, it'd be, I mean, it's, and even if you were to go back from at the time that we're recording this in 2018, go back 10 years to 2008, like that's still a pretty remarkable difference. It's in, like pre-iPhone. Yeah. Well, uh, or, um, almost. The, yeah, like first generation yeah. or second. Yeah. Um, and uh, but even then, like it, there's so many technologies that are available now that weren't available then. Isn't that crazy that we judge time off an of iPhone? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> That's right. The iPhone has become <laughs> the marker in time that we can rely on. Just like an ADBC, like around yeah. uh, iPhone time. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> the the current era of iPhone <laughs> before iPhone. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> BIP. That's really funny. I like that. Maybe we'll start using that. Ape and BIP. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, the, the whole point being that um, with this uh, anterograde amnesia, these new memories that are being formed, like what a radically different kind of life that is uh, to live in. And we'll get into the extent to which that forgetting is actually taking place. But then the uh, retrograde amnesia, again, having to do with, for some reason, unable to recall things that happened in the past. Now, one of the important differences looking at like anterograde amnesia is that things that you already knew, you, you, keep, you still know. Um, so people will recognize people that were in their lives up to that point, usually. Um, although as those people age, they might have more difficulty recognizing them. Mm -hmm. Um, they often will be surprised at recognizing themselves in the mirrors, but they will, uh, they'll remember things that they've learned up to that point with the, um, retrograde amnesia. You've lost all that. You might have forgotten where you were born, who your family is, uh, things that you like and don't like. Um, there might be a lot of, uh, there's a lot of things that will be lost inside of retrograde amnesia. And like I said, it'll be worth, I think, spending a conversation on a lot more detail of that in the, in the, in a future episode. There are three types of forgetting that are sort of generally talked about inside of your sort of normal psychology, like textbooks and literature. So uh, what are those? So we have encoding failure, storage decay, and then a retrieval failure. 
Yeah, and so encoding failure is sort of what it sounds like, which is that the the event or experience was not strong enough or otherwise did not happen in such a way that it enabled the memory to be encoded in your memory. Yeah, so those those cues aren't really forming, right? Yeah, so uh, going back to the in reference to our previous memory episode, we talked a lot about the fact that memory is stored in cues in our environment in a, in a lot of ways, right? Yep. And so this this idea of the encoding failure is that for whatever reason that cue um, did not actually develop the effect on you that it would then trigger that memory. And so, uh, f- for example, if you are in class and you are looking out the window and your yeah. attention is on the uh, person who's out on the on the grass playing with their um, husky puppy and yeah. they're adorable um, then the whatever is being presented inside of that class is not necessarily uh, that is not going to be a cue for that information for you to recall later mm-hmm. um, although the puppy outside would be for the puppy outside <laughs> not the information or you're like me and you're in a, a meeting and it's kind of important, um, but only five minutes of the two hours is really going to be important. And right. So you're on your phone the majority of the time <laughs> and then you miss the five minutes. It's really important and yeah. it causes havoc on your life for the next week because you miss the important five minutes <laughs> um, and everyone knows why. Yeah, that, that can happen. <laughs> I think this is relevant to the whole idea of like multitasking of like, oh yeah, I, yeah. Can, I can read and listen to you talk at the same time or I can look at my phone and be paying attention at, uh, to your conversation at the same time. Mm-hmm. And well, there is an extent to which you can multitask a little bit for the most part we're much worse at this than we think we are yeah and it's like it feels like when you're in the moments that you are paying attention and you're there and you're you're absorbing the information but as soon as I were to actually ask you okay what did I just talk about you're gonna be like uh candy crush (laughs) (laughs) or candy crush that's a blast from the past (laughs) is that still a thing yeah totally still a thing Cool. Yeah. I don't actually play I'm it. But so outside of the world sometimes. And so in it in other ways. <laughs> so uh, we have, yeah. So we have, uh, so that was encoding failures. Right. Right. So, so what's storage if, decay? If, you've, if you find uh, us just saying encoding failure and you don't remember anything, that was an encoding failure. <laughs> yeah, right? that's yeah. exactly right. Good reference. Bam. <laughs> I do pay attention. <laughs> Indeed. The funny part while we're recording this, since not everyone knows, I am uh, doing a live stream on Instagram while we're doing this. So I'm yeah. kind of paying attention and talking to people while going through this segment. So ha. Abraham. <laughs> <laughs> there are multiple times when I'm uh, when we're producing these, they'll have to cut where I tried to ask Ryan a question and uh-huh. he's like, oh, wait, sorry, what? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's 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 well, we weren't we weren't talking about that data. What are yeah. you talking about? Um, OK, so next one would be a storage decay. So for here, some sort of information is learned and it's lost over time. Um, and this could be due to just like a lack of practice. Right. Or like experiencing those sort of cues. Yeah, so that yeah, that's exactly it. Is that um, a lot of times to build a sufficient repertoire of um, that cue evoking that that memory that you're trying to get, you oftentimes have to just have a little bit of practice with that cue. Sometimes the cue and the event are powerful enough that it's going to stay on the first contact mm-hmm. for a pretty long time. Um, but if you if it does not get repeated practice, then that's something that it's less likely to um, trigger that memory later uh, over time if you don't, uh, again, if you don't have that practice. Now, additionally, one reason that the storage decay might take place is if you have repeated contact with that cue that's with a totally different association or totally different like memory. Mm -hmm. And so what happens is you replace the effect of that cue with a new experience. 
And so this is actually one that's in line with some of the exposure literature on things like phobias, where um, you might take a cue of, let's say someone who is afraid, uh, I'll use myself, is afraid of like okay. ocean water, for example. Yeah, yeah I'm, afraid, right. I'm afraid of the ocean. <laughs> so the sounds of the ocean, the look of the ocean, um, being on a boat, all of those things have uh, cues for me that trigger like a fear sort of response. Now, if I instead experience the ocean in a safe, fun, positive manner, um, then what's going to happen is I'm going to start retraining all of those cues associated um, with the ocean so that they now elicit uh, memories and thoughts and general feelings of like, this is a, a good place to be and it's a, a pleasant experience and that sort of thing. And so in that case, the you might call this forgetting my phobia in a way in that case. Yeah. And I, I don't, I'm not saying that I actually have a phobia. I don't know that I meet the uh, DSM definition of yeah. a diagnosis for a phobia, but w how those cues affected me in the past, I'm rewriting that effect mm -hmm. with new experiences. Um, and that might also be true for people who have, and I'm, I'm not, by the way, making a clinical recommendation about this, but for people who have P PTSD, um, let's say you were assaulted in like a park. Mm -hmm. You might actually go back to that park and make sure you do so in a context that's safe and fun and try and override that cue. And again, yeah. I'm not saying, I'm not making that recommendation. Nor that it's easy and that's where stuff right, right yeah, yeah, yeah this might be really difficult and you might need a lot of support point is we're just pointing out this this uh strategy yes right it's, it's kill it's that it's like intentional storage decay in a way right okay okay so the third one retrieval failures right and this is kind of what it sounds like so we'll check in on the storage delay topic in like 15 minutes see if people remember it <laughs> sure okay all right so the, the retrieval failure is one that i Feel like i experience all the darn time right so my sister quite frequently will text me remember this and i'm just like nope <laughs> and it's something very meaningful very like memorable i guess to use the word right from, from uh earlier ages when we were younger and right. as soon as she gives me a little bit more it's like yeah i remember that but sometimes also it's just like i don't remember anything that you're talking about yeah i don't know what happened there it sounds really cool and I'm sad that I experienced it and don't remember it. Yeah. Like I can't put myself back there. The memory cue is insufficient to trigger the memory. And so a lot of ways of thinking about this, at least I think um, that could be useful, is that a lot of times you're in experience, you're, you're in a situation where you have an experience and the cues that are in that situation are strong enough to evoke the memory of your experience there. However, I might say, do you remember this time? And my verbal statement to you is not similar enough to those cues that it's going to evoke that memory, right? Yep. So um, what's important about this is that sometimes we'll ask people to remember something and it seems like they can't and it's because the verbal cue is not a sufficient replacement for the mm -hmm. experience that you had. This is true for a lot of even things where there was experience with the actual cue itself. That might still not be enough um, for it to trigger the memory either because there was an encoding failure as we yeah. mentioned earlier or there had been that storage decay, uh, there wasn't enough practice with it or that um, it had been overwritten by other experiences or for whatever reason, you are just not in a context and position where those cues are relevant to you. So it, it, you can see that there's some overlap here and how these things are related, but having these three ways of talking about what happens when we forget something as opposed to when we're remembering something is I think a useful um, starting point. Yeah, it's a starting point for understanding the contextually relevant features of um, the the kind of circumstances under which we forget something as opposed to remember it. Okay, so you said something else that I want to hit on really quick that I don't think I have any future notes about this, but what's really important to understand about this is that the relative importance of something 
does not really necessarily have any bearing on whether or not it will be remembered. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, perfect. Yeah. Because, yeah. yeah, my sister gave me a hard time, rightfully so. Like, I'll, I'll give her that yeah. on how do you not remember this? And I'm like, I know it's important <laughs> now yeah. that I do finally remember it after all these cues and stuff that you've thrown at me. But I'm sorry. Like, I forgot it. Well, yeah. And so it brings back, if we look at this in terms of is the cue sufficient enough to evoke the memory, then in that case, it's not, it doesn't have anything to do with the relative sentimental value of that cue to you necessarily, right? Yeah. It really has to do with, did you have enough practice? Is it sufficient enough? Are, are the cues that you're giving me mm -hmm. strong enough, uh, they're related yeah. strongly enough to that event that it's likely to evoke that memory, yeah. right? So I think that's an important thing to understand in terms of when we're trying to look at the conditions under which memory is evoked and, uh, and assuming that our language is sufficiently representative of that experience that it can evoke the same cues and it might not be. And that is just how it goes sometimes, but that doesn't mean that it wasn't important to you. It just means that you, uh, and, and what could be happening is that you're not presenting the language around it in a way that it's likely to evoke it. Or it could just be that you just need to be there in that situation. Yeah. And there could be other things going on too. But yeah, again, it's just understanding that it's not because you're stupid. It's not because you um, you didn't care. It is because there are fe features about the experience and the cues that affect the extent to which a memory is likely to be evoked. Did you hear that, sis? <laughs> <laughs> Does she Hot. listen? Yeah. She does sometimes, yeah. Oh, okay. Um, but she uh, she definitely doesn't call me stupid in those sort of things. Okay. Um, but I just it was a funny little thing to drop in there. We'll call this um, episode uh, Pay Attention, Ryan's Sister. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Why I do what I do, sis. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, and now a really important one to understand, this is actually related to the others as well, is what can happen with memories where we remember something incorrectly. Ooh. And so there's something called the misinformation effect. Have you heard of this? I, I haven't, but it makes sense at face value, I guess. Yeah. And I mean, it is essentially what it implies, which is that when you have or you experience misleading or inaccurate information, this can completely shape your memory of an event. So what can happen is, and again, language might not be powerful enough to trigger a memory, but let's just say that it is the type of language you use to trigger that memory can affect the extent to which you experience that. Mm -hmm. Even when you're in the presence, and we talked about this in the memory episode, but even when you're in the presence of those relevant cues where the experience took place, you are now experiencing that and have experienced a new memory. You're forming a new memory in that situation from your new context that you're bringing to that. So presumably, uh, if you were to have some experience and then come back 100 days later and be in that same environment, you're going to experience it slightly differently because hopefully in that hundred days you learned one or two things in yeah. the world, you know, and something has changed about who you are. And so you are going to interpret that experience slightly differently. Let's just take, for example, if you um, were to try and learn, it's a great one because this is relevant to something we were just doing. Let's say you're trying to learn how to fly a drone yeah. and you have never done it before and uh, you really don't know anything about flying a drone. We're doing it safely under FAA guidelines. Right. right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so uh, you, you practice and you know something about it. A hundred days later, you've spent time reading about this and practicing and getting better. If you then go to the same place you were when you first tried to fly a drone, the cues that are there are likely going to evoke the memory of that, but you're now forming a new memory with those cues about what it feels like to be in that context, mm -hmm. okay? Now, with the misinformation effect, you can shape the way that, that those cues work by 
adding things and little details in there or framing questions in such a way that they alter the effect of those cues. Okay. So you can weaken certain cues and strengthen others. And you can even superimpose totally new cues that weren't even there but could have been there, mm -hmm. right? And so there's a famous um, a few experiments that have existed on this where they took things like a, a picture or a scene of a car accident okay, and they showed it to people and they uh, then asked them after they all saw the same picture, but they had two different groups. They asked one group, so um, what did you see? I'm, I'm misremembering this exactly. <laughs> the storage cues were not <laughs> strong. Um, but it was something along the lines of where one of the group, they asked them something like, what did you see in that photo of those two cars? And then the other group, what they did is they asked them, like, describe the picture of the smashed up cars, whatever it was. They used a bunch of adjectives that were like of that horrific crash. And then what happened was the people who described the image that they saw in the group where they had... Um, played down or like sort of softer language about it, they describe there being like no broken glass and maybe a slight fender bender and that sort of thing. And the people who are in the group where they had the language around, you know, describe that horrific scene or whatever it was, they described the, the, the cars as being really, really smashed up and there's glass all over the place. There were specific details that were absolutely not in the original scene that they witnessed that were present in their description of that scene based on the language that was used. This has been important for like case testimonies in yeah yeah I was gonna say the judicial system yeah in general. the judicial yeah. system exactly and understanding that how well you can mislead a memory of an event by using certain adjectives. What's interesting too, just as a side note in that area, is that you can mislead how the jury will perceive the answers given to the person, even if you don't necessarily affect that person's memory. Maybe they know that you're doing this and you're trying to skew them, um, but they can still do this anyway. And whatever you say, you have colored the jury's opinion a little bit about um, the what that person's going to then report on. So just as sort of an aside. Yeah. Anyway, so this misinformation effect is really important because you can actually form what feel like vivid, legitimate memories completely out of whole cloth by giving enough context and detail where it feels like it was a real experience. It takes, it takes a lot of work, but you can do it. You can sort of, you massage those details in there verbally, right? And you give this information until you have created a whole memory that never even really existed in the first place. And so this can greatly skew your interpretation of related events to that. So let's say, for example, I tell you that like you were in a car accident when you were a kid and um, you were in a car with your friend and your friend died. You're like, mm -hmm. well, I really don't. I feel like I should remember that because that would have been a huge event. Yeah. Uh, but I really don't. I can keep feeding you information about this. And then what you might actually do then is remember things related to that car crash that I don't even talk about. You'll form new memories related to the context of that event like... They did something for him at school and mm -hmm. I remember I wanted to invite him to a birthday party, but I couldn't. And like, yeah, there's yeah. all these things that you might then come up with. And that's part of this misinformation effect is how well, how much you can shape and change memories of things that really did happen by implanting or um, misleading with false cues. Yeah. You're like leveraging off of those cues, right? Right. Exactly. Super interesting and yeah. like extremely scary. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, our, our memory is just not as good as we'd like it to be. Yeah. Hashtag propaganda. <laughs> God. Uh, is that how this stuff shapes up? Uh, I mean, it, it could it could work that way. Yeah. Um, it, actually, it's a really good note that we're thinking of like 1984 and there's like they specifically have these newsreels that only tell history in a certain way so that mm -hmm. you only remember it in a certain way. And it's like illegal to talk about it anyway than that. So this is one of the reasons that I always think it's incredibly dangerous 
to attack media and journalists and reporters because that type of behavior is exactly the kind of things that a dictatorship would use to try and influence public opinion and memory about things. They're yeah. trying to rewrite history to make themselves look good. Yeah. Right. Um, and although there can certainly be a lot of bias in the media, um, and that, that can be a thing that you want to look out for and be aware of the whole fake news thing that's been yeah. going on forever. Um, but <laughs> that'll it, be like after the iPhone mark, it'll <laughs> that's be, right. we pre and post fake news. Era. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. The era. <laughs> We're living Starting in, in 2016. Yeah. Our age, so we used to live in ages that were like centuries or millennia long, and now it's every five years yeah. when some stupid thing happens. If anyone wants to draw a rendition of this timeline that we're making, I will, I will, I will send lots of stickers. That sounds amazing. <laughs> yeah. Please, please develop a new calendar system based on these events that happen. Fake news and the iPhone. <laughs> and maybe like the internet or something. The next thing to... Uh, I would like to bring up around this is, and I mentioned this a little bit before, is the whole thing about our language about this, right? Yeah. And so what's important is when we talk about when something, when someone can remember something, is we, we say that they can remember it if they can talk about it. Mm -hmm. So if I could say, what did you do yesterday? And you can tell me what you did yesterday, then I can, I would look at your report or I'd listen to it and I would say, you remember, because you're yeah. talking about yeah. it, yeah. right? Okay, It'd be really well, weird if I just like started pointing my phone or you know like <laughs> drawing something on the board, right. right? You just reenact the whole day. Yeah, um, but that begs the question of like, is is that remembering too? Right. So what's important about that is that when you talk about an event, that's not necessarily remembering it, at least not exactly in the way that people like to think. And so when you can't talk about an event, that's not to say that you wouldn't remember it or behave with respect to those cues if you're put in a different situation or those cues were framed a little bit differently. And so I like to bring this into a metaphor of like, if we say that um, an animal has learned something, then we say that it remembers it if it does the same behavior in the presence of the relevant cue. So mm -hmm. let's say, for example, you teach a dog to sit on command and then you give the command and it sits right away. Okay. Then we, you might say the dog remembers that command. That yeah. might be a colloquial, easy way of talking about mm -hmm. that. But what's interesting about this is that when people have like, what is called quote unquote memory loss or some other impairment that they accurately respond to the situations that they have learned, but they can't talk about it, then we say that they don't remember it. And so this is the whole same thing. If, if someone, if I were to teach someone to do something, I'm just going to use for this example, I'm going to teach them sit in another language. Yeah. I'm going to say like, if I say to you in Mandarin, sit down. Mm -hmm. And then later I say the same phrase in Mandarin. And then you sit down and I say, what did I say? You say, I don't remember. Um, but you <laughs> sat down anyway, yeah. right? And I'm like, wow, you don't remember what I said. Yeah. And I'm focused instead on your language and not the fact that you actually did it. Mm -hmm. The cue evoked the relevant response, but you weren't able to talk about the cue evoking the relevant response. Okay. So typically we're talking about remembering in the yeah. form of we can talk about what it was that happened when we're, we're talking about humans. Oh, that's that, one way of talking about it. Yeah. That doesn't always happen when it comes to animals, largely because there's not language there in the same way. Right. However, both of these things, uh, these examples you provided can still be remembering. Yes, exactly. And so the, the sort of difference between the animal example and the human example that I used where one of they were both performing the same action in the, in the presence of the relevant cue uh -huh. is, and, but we call one of them forgetting and one of them remembering was that it was language, right? And so um, there's a really interesting story about a man who 
Um, he had, as part of a surgery, I want to say this is in maybe the 70s or something. So as part of some kind of surgery that had happened to this guy, he had his hippocampus removed, either all of it or a significant portion of it. And he it was, was, it was two thirds. Oh, it was two thirds of it. Okay. And so he was unable to form new memories in this way, which was what kind of amnesia? Enterograde. Yes. Enterograde yes. amnesia and that he was not able to form new memories. And they didn't know that was going to happen, obviously, um, when they did this. But it, it did provide an interesting way of looking at memory and memory storage, and especially this thing like forgetting. What's really interesting about this guy is that they, they noticed that he was his behavior was changing with his experiences, even though he couldn't report on his memory of those things. And so he would, for example, they, they decided to look at these tests where they had these figurines and he had to choose between um, one or the other and they were either correct or incorrect. And he'd just flip them over and look at the bottom and it would say. Okay. After a few weeks of this, he, he was picking the correct figurines like with 80 or 90% accuracy or okay. something, right? Interesting. Yeah. And, but he, every time he'd sit down to this task, he couldn't remember ever doing the task. Yeah. They'd say, why are you here? He said, I don't know. They said, what are we doing with yeah. this? And he says, I don't know. I would hope the pure, like the removal of part of your hippocampus doesn't mean that you can't perform these sort of things, right? So right. it kind of makes sense. Yeah. I mean, it does that, make sense. That new things can be learned. But it, but he wasn't able to talk about it was okay. the important thing. And so that he would report that he didn't know why they were there. They didn't know what they were doing. He didn't recognize the figurings. And yet he was picking the correct ones with like significantly greater than chance accuracy. Okay. As high as I believe he got up to nearly 100% accurate picking the right ones. And he was just amazed. He's like, how am I doing this? Yeah. <laughs> like, is it, can it really be that much of a coincidence? I just yeah. happened to pick the correct one. And they were demonstrating that what was happening was he was learning things even though he wasn't able to talk about the fact that he was remembering things. Yeah. And so it's an important difference here in understanding that remembering and our language about things are not interchangeable completely, that we will remember things and those things will affect us even if our language and our, the way that we verbalize our experiences does not reflect the same learning history. So anyway, that's just, it's an interesting story to understand what happens in this um, remembering forgetting thing when we talk about it in terms of the language around it right okay yeah. and so as as has happened in the past really cool response from people on social media about the episode and one uh one person wrote in um, bob warsham and he made the point that i really like is that looking at forgetting in terms of sometimes that response that the cue is supposed to evoke it didn't develop you didn't practice it enough right it, that response itself did not develop in the presence of that cue enough that it was likely for that cue to evoke that response later yeah yeah there just wasn't enough strength there right? yeah so i might for example teach you the French word for, I don't know, door, right? And then ask you later if you remember what that is. And you don't because I there was only the one practice and you did not develop your repertoire of re reacting to that word frequently enough for that word to be a cue. And so this, this gets at both of those angles of both the cue did not develop the effect and your repertoire, uh, your performance did not develop sufficiently to react to the cue. Totally agree. Love it. Okay. So... Let's move on to, we've talked a lot about the different types of forgetting and sort of how forgetting works. And I think it's important to point out what is not forgetting. Yeah. So the, the first thought is what happens if someone's unconscious or maybe sleeping, right? Yeah. Let's take those in different bits. Unconscious first. Okay. Well, so when we're speaking of consciousness here, what we're saying that you are interacting with the stimulating environment around you in a sort of meaningful way, right? Yeah. 
because presumably even people who are unconscious are receptive to certain types of stimulation mm-hmm. to an extent, mm-hmm. but you're certainly not interacting very much with those events. You're not looking around at things. You're not moving around, that sort of thing. Okay. So if you are unconscious during a time that some event takes place, like you said, yeah. you're asleep, for example, <laughs> um, which I have a funny story about that. The, this encoding can't happen right? You're not interacting with stimuli. So the, yeah. they're, they're not even really cues to you if you're unconscious, if you're not interacting with them, because you had no chance for that to become a relevant cue to evoke a memory. Mm-hmm. I mean, it'd be almost like if something happened on the other side of the planet, I'm not going to remember it because I'm not there. Like, yeah. I don't, yeah. <laughs> I, I'm not close enough to it. It's having no effect on me. Yeah. So if the cue is not actually st- stimulating your senses in some way, then it's not going to develop as a cue that uh, is able to evoke a kind of memory. What about that in-between state? So I've been up snowboarding and I I caught an edge going way too fast Mm -hmm. and a few tumbles hit my head. Um, Hour and a half later, uh, I was with somebody, but still I was like driving down the hill and took the wrong turn. I didn't remember that sort of stuff. Okay. Right. But the next day when I was talked about, I remembered it. And so I don't know, like I wasn't unconscious, right? Yeah. There's definitely some sort of altered state there. Yeah. And I think it's understanding it's complicated because of the things that can happen do uh, brain injury with respect to memory encoding are pretty complicated. Yeah. They're insane. <laughs> right. And so things like uh, suffering concussions may or may not actually lead to things like difficulty remembering yeah. stuff. And I think that at least from my research, it's not really understood exactly how that works all the time. Yeah. Uh, maybe show that for another future episode. Yeah, that'd be a great one. Yeah. Like just okay. traumatic. Well, uh, maybe just concussions in general. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, so we hit the unconscious. We, we s- sidelined the, the concussions. Yeah. And the next thing I guess would be sleep. We referenced that. You said you had a story of some sort. Oh yeah. Thanks What's for reminding me. <laughs> well, it's just that there are so many All people. just remember jokes. Are getting yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there are so many times that people will tell me about like, how little they slept and I'm and I'm thinking like how do you know you were asleep <laughs> you know <laughs> and I mean I know that you can look at the clock and remember the time that it said and look at the clock later but the, like unless you are tracking basically second by second what you're doing you can be drifting in and out of sleep quite a bit during yeah, the time for sure and you don't remember when you're sleeping because you're sleeping, <laughs> yeah. right? Like you are not, you're, it's, you're in that state of unconsciousness where the world is not interacting with you in a particularly meaningful way. Yeah. Um, and what can happen about this is you can color your own experience of that sleep, as I mentioned earlier, with by misleading yourself with your language mm-hmm. about this. So it's just funny to me that people who are tell me like, oh, I only slept for one minute last night. And I'm like, I find that hard to believe. Yeah. And I also don't know that I can trust your information. I'm like, how do, you, how do you know you only slept for one minute? Yeah. Is there a video of this? You know, do you have some kind of uh, time-lapse recording that I can see? Um, and because like, as far as I can tell, it looks like you're sleeping. Yeah. You know? <laughs> um, and so it's just, and not to say that like, I know people have trouble sleeping and I'm not discounting that. And there yeah. are also brain injuries that make sleeping difficult. But the fact, what you can remember about your sleeping is not particularly trustworthy because if you are drifting in and out of sleep, you wouldn't even necessarily know that you were doing that. Yeah. Unless you're like really well trained and have some sort of system to verify that, right? I'm maybe, yeah, <laughs> yeah, that might that might exist. Okay, so what else is not forgetting? Okay, so I think another important thing is if you're unable to detect the cue that would have led to the encoding in the first place, okay. and this is relevant to this the whole being unconscious. Uh, it, well, it could be verbal, but it could also just be that, like, let's say something happened behind you that you couldn't see and it didn't make any noise Mm -hmm. that you're probably not going to remember that thing because 
it never actually interacted with you again. So this is similar yeah. to the whole being unconscious thing, except that in this case, you are interacting with the world around you, yeah. but that cue did not actually affect you. And so it's important to understand that there are people who are in situations sometimes where they just don't interact with that situation, maybe in the same way everyone else does. And they're like, you were there. How do you not remember? Well, for you, it may have been the case that whatever the event was, that didn't actually have an effect on you because you were maybe paying attention to something else. Yeah. There's, I think if you look at movies a lot of times where there's some disaster happening and a lot, there's often a joke of someone who has their headphones in and they're just kind of not paying attention and there's yeah. chaos going on around them. Mm-hmm. I think that happened actually in one of the Harry Potter movies. Um, but that, that would be one of those situations where that particular event is not going to work as a cue because you are not interacting with it, right? Yeah. So it has me thinking of, I got really into video uh, as a medium lately. So I can very much be interacting with my screen at an event with others. And I'm seeing an angle that no one else is pretty much seeing. Yeah. And it's just like, oh my gosh. And everyone's like, what? (laughs) You're like, you didn't see that, (laughs) you know? Yeah. Or the other way around could be like something happens and I'm so sucked into, I mean, I guess this could be your phone or whatever. And it's just, you don't interact with that at all. Yeah. Um, So I've found people that are like, do you remember this? And it's just like, I don't remember what was, you know, maybe something was said, right? Yeah. And it's just like, I was so focused on the visual and like, that was my cue that I was interacting with. Right. And even interact with the cue that was, you know, whatever auditory stuff may happen or whatnot. And that's like that, uh, that video of the gorilla walking through those kids playing basketball. Yeah. Yeah. So if you haven't seen this, there's a bunch of, I think it's about five or six kids that are passing a ball between each other. And they're also kind of walking around in a certain pattern to kind of mix it up. Okay. And there's, yeah, there's a, (laughs) I guess, spoiler alert. There's a gorilla that walks through the frame and a lot of people miss it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. A lot of people miss it. Yeah. And so, you know, and that one's another one of those where you're at, you're sort of asking the question, is it that you're forgetting it or was it that this was not even encoded in the first place? Yeah. So that's sort of that encoding failure. Right. And it's not necessarily a, fo- a code, a, a failure of encoding when we go back to the unconscious thing. But in this case, it was something that you could have interacted with that could have affected you. But for whatever reason, that cue did not, it wasn't strong enough or wasn't salient enough to uh, produce a, a, a memory for that particular event. And so that would be an example of that sort of thing. So uh, there's a few other things I want to cover before we sort of go to wrapping this up. One of those is this idea of repressing memories. What do you have to say about this? Uh, it's not a thing. And uh, <laughs> we're going to do, I think, a future episode on sort of the history of repression. That'd but be good. I feel like that's good. Yeah. And because people do have experiences where they are awake and alert, but they black out an experience, that that is different from repressing memories and the way that it's talked about through the psychoanalysis lens. Yes. So if colloquially you're like, uh, I don't like you guys anymore because I know about repression. Yeah. Right. Just give us a little bit of yeah. slack and let us come around on a repression article. Yeah. We'll hit, we'll hit more of that. Podcast. But and generally people don't repress memories. All right. The next one I wanted to talk about is forgetting uh, a lot of times. And you mentioned this and I've had this experience too, where people get upset with you when you forget something. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I didn't like try and forget, which raised the question for me, can you intentionally forget something? Right. And Uh, looking at some of the research, you can to an extent. Yeah. The ways that we talked about where if you understand how like the the types of forgetting that there are and sort of what the contextual features of that are, you can change those features specifically so that like, let's say for example, you have storage decay, that one, you will specifically not practice it or you will practice a different behavior in the presence of the same cues. Mm -hmm. That's one that you might do. Oh man. I imagine like, so in in grad school, you have to learn all the, the terms, right? Yeah. 
learning all my terms and then like afterwards i'm like i don't want to remember this anymore <laughs> like you maybe have a fault or your field or whatnot yeah and you're just like practicing incorrect things in front of that yeah that would be a brutal process but yeah. i could see how it mess up the cues right yeah. yeah so it'd be like you would get those flashcards and just give them totally different types of answers mm -hmm. and then learn them that way mm -hmm. and then uh, maybe even do it again and you can interrupt how those flashcards work as cues for the term or the definition you're supposed to be remembering mm -hmm. or the you know the concept yeah and those would stop functioning as relevant cues yeah um it might just be that the cards stop functioning as relevant cues, um, especially if you have a rich environment where other people talk about those cues. Um, but otherwise, uh, that might be one way that you intentionally forget. And there was this interesting article on uh, Psychology Today, that website. Yeah. And they specifically talked about a strategy of like people who have, for example, really negative experiences or traumatic experiences with particular cues and bringing a like positive context to those cues. So it's similar to what we've talked about is yeah. you are changing the function of those cues, the, the effect that they have by practicing a new type of um, response to those cues in a more positive, safe situation. So in that way, you are forgetting that event because the association of the new thing is going to overpower the association of the old thing. Does that make sense? Yeah. 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 Oh, someone else in response to the question on social media asked about uh, forgetfulness and level of intelligence. As far as I am aware, there is no association there. It's also worth pointing out that intelligence is not really a thing which is also <laughs> going to be its own episode. <laughs> and it's so multifaceted and complicated and different and subjective to the person who are formulating the criteria about which intelligence is based that trying to compare something like forgetfulness and that arbitrary criteria would be an exercise where you would, I mean, you could just go down a rabbit hole of, okay. uh, of arbitrary decision-making where you would then try and rank people against that criteria. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I would say the other response to that was, is when we both read it, we were like, dang, that's like a really good question. No. Yeah. Or comment that, of like, how does that correlate or, you know, interact with each other? Those two things. Yeah. That's a super thoughtful comment. And I was glad that, uh, that you asked. Yeah. So a little bit of like, Ooh, now I got to do our homework a little bit more. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah. That was a uh, Gina <laughs> which Richards, is, which is a good one who commented on that. So was it? Yeah. <sighs> Gina. <laughs> I know her well. Okay. Good question, Gina. Like it. All right, perfect. So I think that sort of what I've said already is it doesn't really make a lot of sense to get angry at someone for forgetting something. And most of the times when people do intentionally forget something, they do so because it is often a traumatic event. And there might be people who try and intentionally forget something be for political reasons, I guess. I don't know. Um, but for the most part, we're all just sort of going about our lives doing the best we can, you know? <laughs> and so when you forget something, that means that, okay, well, something happened here. Either the cue wasn't strong enough to form that memory in the first place, or the cue I'm giving you wasn't strong enough to evoke that memory, right? Yeah. That's sort mm -hmm. of a nice, easy, I think, humanistic way of approaching that response. So, and actually, I think that kind of fits inside of my take-home points about this is that forgetting has to do with those cues, just like memory does. Yep. And the extent to which those cues are, uh, they develop the effectiveness or you develop the response sufficient enough to those cues. Or if you practice alternative responses in the presence of those cues that you have a hard time remembering what it was like outside of that. Yeah, and I think you can leverage all of this if you're if you're looking for more general applications of it. Use these sort of things to you know set up your cues around yourself. Yeah, when it comes to trying to remember and not forget things, right? Yeah. So I have a whole system of like sticky notes to electronic reminders to apps. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, and uh, they based on where I need to, you know, what I need to remember when is which one I select to use to set up the reminder. If that makes sense. Sure. Yeah. Um, so let us know if you do any of those sort of things. It'd be nice to know. Yeah. And actually, I think that's kind of all I got. 
All right. You got anything else? Nope. All right, cool. If I did, I forgot. All right, well, um, as always, thanks to everyone who is listening. Uh, thanks to everyone who is uh, has supported us either in um, posting about us on Facebook or giving us reviews or um, being Patreon supporters. Um, we appreciate all of you. Yes. So that is your episode of why we don't remember what we should remember. <laughs> I don't yeah. know what we're calling it. <laughs> that was close enough, I suppose. Okay. All right. This is uh, Ryan O. This is Abraham. We're out. You've been listening to Why We Do What We Do. Why We Do What We Do is supported in part by ABAI's Disseminating Behavior Analysis Special Interest Group and our amazing listeners. If you like what you heard, consider heading to our Patreon account at patreon.com slash podcast. Anything helps, and we are continuously lining up perks and merch for our supporters. If you have any comments or questions, we'd love to hear from you. Find us at podcast on your favorite social media platforms. You can learn more about this and other episodes by going to www.podcast.com. There, you'll find links as well as detailed and shareable show notes. Why We Do What We Do is Abraham, Ryan O, and Miranda. Artwork and logo design by Andrew Pollock at nogdesigns.com. Video and production assistance from Tyler Brucier with music courtesy of Justin Greenhouse. Brendan Bohr does our episode art. Thanks for listening, and we hope you have an awesome day. <laughs>